0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. This is your host, Dave Stovall. Today's episode features men from the Relational Discipleship Network talking about generational change. Have you ever wondered how you're supposed to draw out a clear disciple making process that's understandable, teachable, and reproducible? That's a theme that comes up pretty often on this podcast because it's true. The model has to be simple enough for everyone and anyone to do it. Jim and the guys today are talking about the absolutes for generational change and also sharing real-world stories that they've seen over the years. Let's listen to the guys from RDM speaking to us today. Enjoy the episode.
1: Hi. How's everybody doing? The after-lunch crew. Is everybody awake? Yeah. I guess. Liars. We'll see. Hi. Uh, well I'm really glad you're here. Uh, I, I want to give you some, um, some details a little bit that I don't have a whiteboard up here so you're going to have to try to illustrate this in a way that you can write it down. It's some of the stuff that you will go through if you're reading our books and our material and um, um, if you go to our, our uh, DS1 you'll actually experience this at the grassroots level. What does it look like to be in a small group where you're actually disciple making? But uh, um, one of the things that we say a lot is, uh, if it's unintentional, then it's not really going to be reproducible. If it's unintentional, it's not really going to be reproducible. Um, And and so as a leader, you, you guys heard me say in the last session that your job is to be a coach and success is not how many you gather, but how many you raise up right, and release, how many you get in the game with whatever their skill sets are, now everybody is supposed to be a disciple maker, not everybody's a group leader, that has that kind of leadership, not everybody's a leader of leaders, not everybody's a communicator, the body of Christ is filled up with a bunch of different kinds of things, right, oh, this is Jeff's love language, by the way, Um, yeah, let's put it up here, um, you know, as an old sports guy, whiteboards, I know they're they are not very modern, but I like it. All right, so um, what we do in our church is we want to get everybody lined up. We understand that we have a bunch of different people from a bunch of different backgrounds. And we have people that use the same words but mean them differently. Anybody who's married knows this. <laughs> Agreed? Agreed? If we don't line up at a marriage level, we're toast. Let alone I bring in my kids, my sisters, my parents, let alone a whole group of people that came from a variety of different backgrounds. So part of understanding your role as a coach is understanding what you're starting with. People that run by a different playbook, a different language. And so you're starting with you know, the most simple thing. If the, if, the, if the purpose of the church is to make disciples who make disciples, uh, then you better understand how you define that, Uh, And what's the methodology that you're going to use to do that, right? And so for us, Matthew 4.19 is our key verse. It's something very simple. It's the beginning of the discipleship process for the disciples. We say it this way, in the invitation is the definition. You could use whatever. I'm not telling you you should reproduce what we do. I'm telling you, you you need an alignment around this uh, because... um, People can actually be at the same meeting, on the same staff, on the same team, and I can actually think you're losing, and you can think you're winning. If we're not in alignment, we're not working together, we can't win. Tower of Babel again, right? So Matthew 4.19, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So if you go to Matthew 4.19, we break it into three parts. You're following Jesus, you're being changed by Jesus, come and follow me and I will make you. It's process. I'm going to take you as you are, you're a fisherman. Come in, I'm going to make you into something else. You're following Jesus. You're being changed by Jesus. And you're committed to the mission of Jesus. If you won't follow Jesus, in other words, uh, he's Lord. What he says is true. Jesus will often say, you have heard it said, but I tell you. He What he says is true. Would you agree? No matter what the world says, Amen. the one who created the world gets to the fight and it hurts. He's Lord. If you won't follow Jesus, you're not his disciple. All right? Um, In some of our books, we talk about the stages of spiritual growth. If you won't follow Jesus, you may know about Jesus, but you're spiritually dead. You're not born again until you trust Him as Lord and Savior, and you become an infant. Then you grow into childhood, in parenting. You're supposed to have a parenting. Just like you have a physical body, in a physical home, that's supposed to, you know, you're born and you're supposed to be raised. When you become born again, it doesn't matter how high up in the world you are. You start, you go from dead to infant. It's a whole different world in the spiritual realm than it is in the physical realm, which is why, to Bob's point, you don't bring somebody in who's big in business and expect them to lead a spiritual organization if they're not big spiritually. Nothing worse than an immature person leading an a organization, a team, a body that's supposed to be getting mature. They will become the ceiling, right? And so um, you, 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 you're, there's this, you're following Jesus, you're being changed how? Well, if all the Law and the Prophets hang on love God and love others, at the heart level, you're starting to see how Jesus sees. You're motivated by Him, His love. Right? Uh, you're understanding that the rules are the rules, but every rule that was ever given was for the protection and promotion of relationship with God and others. So even holiness, sanctification, um, is a, and faith is an expression of, of God's love for us, He hates things that hurt Him and hurt us and hurt others. So He's made boundaries. So I'm following Jesus. I'm being changed by Jesus. So I'm committed to the mission of Jesus. If you're you could care less about the mission of Jesus, you're on your own mission. You're actually not following Him. You don't care about what He cares about, and that that would be reflected in what you give, your time, your energy, your effort. You're on your own mission, but you sprinkle a little Jesus, so you got your hell insurance. You think? It doesn't work. So that's our definition. And everybody I go to our church, what is a disciple? Matthew 4.19, following Jesus, changed by Jesus, committed to the mission of Jesus. Come follow me, I'll make you fishers men. Pretty simple. Right? In fact, I can ask you in five minutes what our definition is. And it's, it's small, but it expands to every part of your life. Right? That's just how we do it. Our method is embedded in the invitation. Come and be with me. We're going to, you're gonna be in a relationship. Jesus did big crowds, but he always focused it down to the small crowds. I always say this, the greatest preacher in the history of the world would be Jesus. How many of you agree? How many times did the disciples come to him and go, what did that mean? Yeah. You think you can do better than Jesus? How good do you think you are? By the way, as a, I graduated from a secular college in teaching. Here's the worst way to teach anybody anything according to science. Auditory lecturing. Only 20% of your people have an auditory learning style. And the majority of those who do are women. Okay? Men are much more tactile. Our churches are built around sit, listen, sing some songs. And men are not attracted to that. That's not how they were made. Now, not every man. Right? And, and by the way, the Bible college system funnels those who learn in different ways out and created a pathway where the auditory learning people are the ones who make it through. The guys who read, that's first importance, and that, that's those that are the only ones that's the pathway that was created. Everybody else kind of funnels out and goes out, oh, ministry's not for me because I don't learn that way, that's not how I'm made. But Jesus chose fishermen. Right? So I'm not against intellectualism, I'm not against people that learn in an auditory learning style, or that learn best from reading books, and that's the pathway that God made for them. Great! That's how you're made. But don't act like that's spiritual maturity because that's how it is. That's, That's one way of going about it, but there's, but there's way more than that, and our churches are geared to, for one specific kind of pathway oftentimes, which is why discipleship is about relationship, where we get to know each other, and I get to learn your pathway. For you, I might say, hey, I want you to read five chapters of, the, of Galatians this week. For you, I might go, here's a podcast, I want you to listen to it. For you, I might go, hey, you got, you're an auditory listener. I can tell by what I'm questioning you. You're like auditory. Boom, boom, boom. For you, you got stuck along the way, and that's not how you learn. And by the way, I have two sons who do not learn that way, and they're both in ministry. The one who does learn that way is an engineer. It's not, there's not a better than. Discipleship, like with your parenting, you have kids that are in different styles, different ways. And our job is to figure out how do they learn. And, and you want their they have to learn some things. But how they do it will be dependent upon who they are. And you can, I can't know who you are by me talking and you listening. Which is why relationship, Jesus walked with the guys. He would listen to them fighting about stuff. He would listen to what they said. And then he would shape his lessons around different environments, different ways, always going deeper. Does so this is making sense to you? So, disciple, the methodology that we use, we went through the New Testament, and some guys have done this differently. Uh, Dan Spader is, is great at doing it some of the way he's, he did it, but we came up with what's called S-C-M-D. Jesus came into the world and he shared himself. He became flesh. He sh- Okay. He shared his who he was and he shared the truth. Did you agree? Those who had accepted him, he invited into connection. Relationship. In that relationship, he moved them from consumers to ministers. Ministers, people who went from me, my I to serve, care. So in my small group, it's not enough that they're just learning to be in connection. How are they serving one another? Are they moving from being self-centered to God-centered? So an infant is mine. A child is like, let's share maybe. A young adult, if they're growing up, they, they can start to do things. They can babysit. They can do some things they wouldn't have them do before, and you want them to learn that. But they're not ready to be parents yet. But there's this process. Finally. They've gone out. Jesus did it this way. He sent them out by twos. Come back, debrief them. He moved them from. I'm going to share with you. We're going to connect. Uh, Go, go, uh, pass out loaves and fishes. Go ahead of me and uh, get a donkey. Go ahead. You know, he's giving them. He's teaching them to be servants. And then, then he's like, now go out and I want you to start ministering. And then we're going to debrief. And finally, in Matthew 28, he sent them out to make disciples. So in our church, I'm going to share Christ with you. If you want to accept Christ, if I shared Christ with you, I want you to be in connection with me. How many of our people know that it's their job? By the way, Jesus sent the guys out to do it. They shared Christ. Those who accepted, they connected on the day of Pentecost from house to house in temple courts. The Greek widows needed to be taken care of. They started moving people into ministry. Finally, where did Philip go to to Samaria? And, And then you see this process reproduced in the early church. Without internet, without technology, and the more of these you have, who are being spread out all over the place, what did they do? They went and shared Christ, they connected, they started training them for ministry, teaching them the truth. With the head, heart, and hands, you're a follower of Jesus, you're being changed by Jesus, i teaching the Word of God, we are being committed to the mission of Jesus. Now Priscilla and Aquila, they go to Apollos, you start seeing, you start seeing this happen in the early church. They go out, they make disciples. Peter says to Timothy, raise up reliable men who would be able to teach others. And you start seeing this Titus appoint men uh, uh, who finish what was left undone. Uh, the older women are to teach the younger women. You start to see this disciple-making relational process. The yes, they had weekend services. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a part of it. There's a gift of teaching, and some of that happens there. But it always got funneled down into relationship with reproduction in mind. And this becomes your force multiplier. These people who lead your small groups. Again, everybody's a disciple. Everybody can make a disciple. If you're a parent, you're supposed to make a disciple. If you're a woman, you can make a disciple. If you're a man, you can make a disciple. If you're single, you can make a disciple. If you're a kid, you can actually take them a distance down the road and make a disciple. But not everybody has the gift of leadership, and we shouldn't act like it's the only gift. Some people do, and not everybody has the same kind of leadership. And the same, uh, you know, some are more administrative. Some are more pastoral. And sometimes when we're pastoral, we think anybody who's administrative is not of God. And if we're administrative, we don't have any room for the pastor. No, all of these gifts are to be a part of the body of Christ. We fit together like a football team. You're never being, Jesus never sent anybody out by themselves. And it was always to create a team. It was never supposed to be about a person, which is why Paul's going, why are you saying I'm about Paul or Apollos or Peter or... No, it's about a team, and the only hero in the story is Jesus the Christ. Can I get an amen on that? There's too many people with their title and their name at the front of this. We're a bunch of buffoons. Jesus is the reason... Alright? And so, if you start to understand this, this is the force multiplier here. So, in our church, we raise up people to make disciples. Everybody. You don't get to be a leader if this isn't you. If you're not a disciple maker who understands what a disciple is, and by the way, this is our vetting out process. If you claim, I, we, go, we have this analysis where I go, are you dead, are you infant, are you a child, Or you a young adult, or a parent? And we'll let them decide. And, and sometimes people will go, well, I'm a parent. So I'm going to ask you this question. Who's your kids? <clears throat> who are you discipling right now? Well, I mean, I don't, I'm not really a disciple. You're not a parent then. Because a parent has kids. Now, if I go to your you kids, know, people that I always ask them this too. Who, is your, who are you discipling? Well, it's this and this and this one. So if I go to them and I ask them this question. Who's discipling you? They're going to say you. Well, I mean, I don't say that. I mean, we go to coffee together. You know, we, we hang out every once in a while. I pray with them. Then They're not a disciple. They don't even know you're dis- How can that be an intentional process? How are they going to be able to reproduce it if they don't even know they're, they're, they're your disciple? So when you tell them to go do what you did, but you haven't even showed them, you're not intentional at all about what you're doing, how is that reproducible? Is this making sense to you? Well, it's arrogant to say that you're discipling someone. Well, it's only arrogant if you come in and go, I've got all the answers. And you say, I'm going to feed you, but you don't get to work into my life. Uh, let me do, I always have to go, hey, if you're going to be a disciple, let's explain what that is, what that actually looks like. We're going to talk about what role I'm going to have, what role, so we agree on this. And then I give them the option. Here's what I'm going to expect from you. Here's what you're going to expect from me. And at the end of this, it's not just so we can be best friends for the rest of our life. We're going to be friends. We're going to be in heaven together. But this is about us going from one to two, two to four, four to eight. Does this make sense to you? So SCMD, everybody goes through that. Sometimes they have a gifting of leadership. And they might have a different passion. Some have a gifting of leadership in music ministry. Some have in youth ministry. Then my job is to go how do I get them in the game with their abilities and their passions and I know what I'm dealing with because I've watched this process and maybe I haven't like I've got you know 163 staff thousands of, of, of leaders and volunteers and I, I may not know them but somebody does and we know what we're gonna get I'm not guessing now Do people fail? Yes. That's why we have accountability and encouragement. Sometimes you have to pull people off the team, put them on the bench. There's even times where you have to kick them off the team. But even when you do that, it's so that you hand them over to the devil so that they can be taught not to blaspheme. The hope is that they'll come back. And they're not just marked off forever. You're hoping they come back. That doesn't mean they get their position again, depending on what's been done. But they're a part of the family of God, and you want them to come back. Making sense to you? But at the end of the day your church is lined up around, uh, so if I were to ask my staff, uh, your small group is, uh, here's your connect group. Where are the different people in your connect group? Well, one of them is right here. One of them is ready, my apprentice is ready to go branch the group. If my leader of that group doesn't know, then it's not being done very intentionally. Now, guys, I know this is like me taking a rock across the lake and throwing it real fast and it skips along the top. I know you probably got a thousand questions. You can't do that in something like this, right? You can't lecture it. Done. When I'm (laughs) anti-lecture. But again, this is designed to give you a taste of something that you'll want more of because it's really important. Whether there's a lot of good ministries that teach people to disciple, but we got to get there. There is a definition. We got to do it together. This is the job we've been given.
2: Can I get an amen on that? All right. So I remember when uh, I, I shared the first session last night about uh, going to that first DS1, and and it's this is kind of walked out in a wheel called the spiritual wheel, and, and so when you think about spiritually dead, you know, infant, child, young adult, uh, and parent, and and being able, so I'm gonna kind of talk in two different perspectives: one as a father, and two as a pastor. So. Uh, One of the things that I loved immediately was I was always trying to figure out how to do a more effective job of discipling my kids. And because they were different ages. I had at the time my daughter, uh, when I went through this, my daughter was like a freshman. uh, And my uh, two boys, one was uh, in eighth grade, another one was in sixth grade. And then I had a younger one like in third grade. And so I would gather them together and try to figure out how I'm going to you know, help them understand the scriptures and try to get creative. Cause like with the third grader, I had to have him like act stuff out. Meanwhile, my daughter's rolling around. You know, like you have all that different dynamic. And when I was looking at this and thinking about the methodology and what Jimmy talked about in the main session of orality, just kind of walking through like, man, I can engage each one of my kids with the story of scripture and allow them to participate wherever they are. That makes sense? Infant, child, young adult type of thing, and so and so. What was beautiful? I remember doing, I, I remember getting home, and I remember gathering my kids and say, "Hey, I just want to. I just want to share. Dad wants to share a story with you." And so I, I shared the story of the prodigal son because we had done that at, at, up at the, in Idaho. And uh, and I and so I said, "I just want. I just want to ask you guys one question. Who do you relate to the most in the story and why? And it was so powerful to see each one of my kids. My, literally, my daughter just broke down and started sharing some stuff that was going on in her own life. My third grader was able to share it. My two other boys. And so to, to see them engage, and here's, here's what I want you to understand. As a father who's going to then begin to listen intentionally, we talked about intentional leadership. To listen intentionally to where my kids are. With the Lord and in their own personal lives. And here's why. I'm gonna tell you, this is gold. When Jesus said, out of the overflow of their heart, their mouth will speak. So every single time my kids or anybody I'm discipling is speaking, I've gotta be a very intentional listener to help discern and understand. Where are they in their own spiritual journey with the Lord? And what is my, what do I need to do in my helping them take their next step? Are you following? Right? And so, so as they share being able to talk through and help them understand and, and you know, navigate, be able to, to offer empathy in the moment, whatever it might be. But having a plan of me as an intentional leader to be able to help know what I know what their next step is versus it just seeming to be this vast world and I've got to make sure they, they walk away with everything before they go off to college. But no, if my, if my intention is I want to equip them to be a disciple maker, I want to prepare them to understand how to follow Jesus so that they've learned how to feed themselves so I trust the Holy Spirit in their life because as they leave our home, he's He's, he's been with them the whole time, but he's going to have to take them even farther than what I did at home. So, so as you think about as a parent, I remember, I remember having um, this conversation with, uh, with two of my boys one time. And, uh, and so they were, they were arguing, they were, they were talking about something. And uh, my oldest son, Bryce comes to me. He's like, dad, I'm just so frustrated with Chase. And Chase was the one that was closest in age to him, and, and I'm like, why what's going on? Oh, you know da-da-da-da. You know, he said kind of rattling off all the stuff. He was frustrated. And I asked him, I said, should you go talk to him? Well, I've tried before and he doesn't seem to really listen. He just gets you know, so he's going through this whole thing. I said, Well, what did, I said, first off, you've got to go have a conversation with him. You know that. Like you and, and they're in middle school. So we're already having this, like they're already under beginning to understand some of the language of we say like you have a responsibility to go to your brother, literally and have this conversation. I'm not going to solve it for you. He said, well, he gets defensive. Then eventually, if it, there's a, that's when you bring me in. So teaching of Matthew 18 early on, but just in relationship. And so I said, so let me, let me ask you. I said, well, what did, what did Chase exactly say? And so he says, I said, okay, let's, let's go back. We call it the wheel. So let's go back to the wheel. Based purely on what he said, where do you think Chase is right now? Well, maybe here. I said, okay. I said, where are you expecting him to be? Because he knows better. See, we expect, and this is where we create frustration, is that we expect people to be farther along the way in their Christian walk. And because they're not, now we've imposed a ton of frustration, possibly even condemnation on them. And what this did for me is it freed me up to love people better versus being so frustrated with instead of where they weren't because when i was looking at our church people that had been in the church for a really long time uh, have been you know uh, they knew the the lord they had knew lots of scripture but incredible like not moving in their maturity whatsoever and i was so frustrated because i i kept saying well they should and they should and they should and they should and they know better and all that stuff instead of helping them just, what's their next step? Like how do we help people? I can only do my part. I can't do their part for them. God's gonna do his part. And so in that relationship, what is my responsibility? And being so freed up with that my part, your part, and God's part freed me up to love people and to serve people. And so then to see in those conversations with my kids specifically, As I mentioned the other night, now each of them, like uh, my daughter's a worship leader, uh, my oldest son's a youth pastor, my other son's a, a realtor, and my next son's graduating college and becoming another youth pastor. So they already know what a disciple is. We just talked about Matthew 4.19. They know what a disciple is. They know how to make disciples. And it's not because, I'm telling you, it's not because we did it perfectly, even close. It's a ton of grace. Like I've gone to them and said literally, I will pay for your counseling. (laughs) Not <laughs> sure I can cover college, but I will cover counseling because I didn't do it perfectly. But it wasn't from a lack of intentionality. It was just that God needed to grow me up too. You know, when it comes to our church, to be able to, so we decided that that we were going to, I read the, the book, Four Disciplines of Execution, and, and we were talking about a wildly important goal. And so I brought it back to our executive pastor I said, listen, I want to implement this, and I think the wildly important goal is, I want everybody in our quarterly, I want to begin tracking how many disciple makers we have. And I want to take increase, and we talked about percentage of increase, because if that's what we're going after, we've got to start tracking this and celebrating it, and knowing what we're going after and how we define, so we're going through all this stuff. So we started this process of Wanted to say, okay. Then we had to define what our core leadership was and, and how we were going to, you know, uh, articulate that because we wanted to see the multiplication. We didn't want to just keep adding here and there. Like we wanted to see multiplication of disciple makers. And so as we started doing that, we wanted to know, okay, who's who's in a discipling relationship and who's already making disciples who are making disciples, and and seeing it go on because part of it, and, and here's it, if if. If this is somewhat new or you're you're thinking about or considering it, I don't want to talk too far down the road. So the first step was for you to actually learn what it means to be a disciple and learn to be a disciple maker, casting vision for the people you're gonna disciple. Jim talked about making sure the person you're discipling actually knows you're discipling them. Because I had the same experiences. Like I'd ask Stab I asked him, I'd say, Hey, you're disciplined, oh, so and so. And I'd see him at a coffee shop. I said, Oh man, it's so exciting that so and so is discipling. And you're like, oh, Oh, I didn't know that. I thought we were just hanging out. And the reason that is so important that they know, it's kind of defined define the relationship, right? The reason why that's so important is you want them reproducing. So they need to know, oh, this is the stuff that I'm going to then do with the person I'm discipling. So one of the things I'll, I'll tell the people I'm discipling is, hey, listen, I just want you to know, this is, this is something for you to grow, but I, I need you to wear both hats. Because eventually, you're going to, I want you to really start thinking about when you start discipling. Because that is part of this deal. Like I tell everybody at the beginning, just so you know, I'm going to disciple you. But when we're when when you know as we go along, just you are you are committing to eventually start discipling somebody else. Just so you know, that's my expectation. And so you've already cast vision for them, and then you're helping them just take the next step. And so we've seen this begin to multiply and to spread. We've got a few ladies here. So my wife discipled Angie. Angie discipled Shireen, who's now on her staff. Shireen has d- discipled Kelsey, who's now on her staff. And so we see in this generation after generation after generation after generation. And and it's become a part of the culture. Like that's the expectation that we're just going to do. This is all I'm asking. What did Jesus ask us to do? Go make disciples. So then if we aren't, how do you respond back to Jesus based upon what he told us to do? But if we are, then what does it look for us to create a culture and then celebrate it so you see, not just addition, but you see multiplication, and people have a methodology and a process to follow, and it's common language so that everybody's clear. So when they go from one group and they jump into another thing, or they go from that ministry to that ministry, that people are talking the same language, and that we're all going—we don't have silos. That this, you know, ministry is going after this thing, and this ministry—no, no, no, we're all going after the same thing, and it's what Jesus called us to. Because at the end of the day, it's about Him.
3: Thank you, guys. i can going to have uh, Joel and Scott come up. So the guys that are up here talking are guys that are our coaches in the network. So we're giving you guys the 30,000-foot view. But being that we're a relational discipleship network, our intention is to walk it out in relationship. So when you become a part of the network, we get you with one of these guys, and you journey through the process in it. So the first time you ask somebody, hey, can I disciple you? And they reject you, and you feel sad, you can call on these guys and talk to them. <laughs> Uh, my first inclination when I hear that, like inviting someone specifically, really, hey, will you let me disciple you? Can I disciple you? It's kind of like asking somebody out on a first date, right? You're, you're kind of putting yourself out there. Do you, do you guys feel that? And I think that we've gotten away from the idea. Like we're so autonomous. We're so American in our, in our perspective, and our hermeneutic about how we look at the autonomy of every believer. And forget about the, mod, you know, the model that Jesus gave us and so just let me encourage you you have to push past the awkward it's gonna be awkward yeah when you get a couple reps under your belt it'll get easier and you'll be comfortable with it but if you let the awkward stop you you're, you're never gonna start all right we have a couple of FBI agents that are gonna be walking around with microphones uh, taking your guys questions and that sounds like a joke but it's actually not uh, anyway so we want to have you guys ask questions we're gonna have two guys on the panel answer the question for you so if you guys want to talk about course multiplication or Generational change, or actually anything else that we've talked about. So, uh, where are my Mike, folks? Angie's right here in the back. And where's Ramo? Ramo's back there with with Paul.
1: How long does your discipleship process last? Um, after a year, two, three years. And then, when they when they're released, do they start their own to start their own group? How it it, it all depends process? on. Um, their spiritual maturity. Each person is different, right? Uh, I mean, as a sports guy, I've had guys that've been in my program for ten years, and they're they're going to be a JV guy. I've had guys that come into my program, and in one year, their talent, their their ability is everybody's different spiritually, based on the ruts in their life, how far down the road they've went, their experiences, how how on fire they are, uh, and, and committed they are. But no matter how well they learn and can pick up the language, the higher the level of leadership position you give them, it has to be proven character that they'll do it when it's hard and when it's painful. There has to be a vetting out process when it comes to character. Giftedness and understanding is not the only factors here. But uh, I've had guys, you remember, you go back to the early church, they go from uh, 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 in a day. Paul's writing to you know Titus, finish what was left undone. How long had it been since he have been there? A couple of years. They're pagans. The Holy Spirit can do a lot, it just depends on who they are and the character level. And you don't let uh, you don't put somebody out there too quick without coaching. I I made the mistake um, of you know like using the analogy of the swimming pool I threw them in the pool and I had every intention of uh, teaching them to swim but I got something happened I got called away and I'm over there and I come back and they're floating on the top of the pool spiritually speaking or they're alive but their stroke is so ugly you don't want anybody else to reproduce that but you did it right so make sure that you create a uh, you know, some sort of way of walking them through the, either the arrogant side of what they're doing or the discouragement side, because both sides will happen as they start to get out there in, in that. Oh, right back. Yeah, you all uh, spoke about if someone does accept the invitation
4: to be discipled, relationally discipled, you all been talking about expectations that you communicate up front. Could you help me uh, just give some examples of what those expectations are, like committed to so many meetings a week, meeting together so many times a week, things like that? Yeah, so for the guys that I disciple a lot of times, those kinds of things are worked out ahead of time. As I invite them into a relationship, we'll kind of say, hey, this is a commitment that I'm asking you to make. Uh, And so we're going to get together uh, for a a specific meeting time once a week. And then there's also going to be other times during the week that I'm going to touch base with you. I'm going to give you passages of Scripture to memorize. Uh, when we start out with a group and I start off on a normal thing, we'll we'll go through the Gospel of Mark together. We're just going to walk through the Gospel of Mark, look at Jesus' life, and so it's going to be every day, read Mark chapter one, and when we get together, we're going to talk about Mark chapter one. And I want you to have one passage of scripture out of that that you've memorized. So we give them kind of that upfront. here's the expectation, here's what we're, we're asking of you to do, the time commitment that's involved with it, uh, all of those kinds of things. And then as the group gets going and gets started, there might be more things that are added to it as they have the capacity to take on more uh, more spiritual leadership or, or whatever development, but, uh, but we're going to make sure up front they know what's being asked of them that they're committing to so that it's not just open-ended and then getting involved and then figuring out they can not do it. Uh, so I always want to have that process that's kind of lined up for
2: them. I'm going to add to that. Uh, so a couple of other things I, I add, I add so all those things that Joel said, um, also make sure Uh, that they know my expectation because I ask what their expectations are because if they have expectations of me that I like I'm gonna be their best buddy that we're gonna do stuff all the time like I need need to reset their expectations Uh, but we are going to spend a good amount of time together Uh, but I expect them to be brutally honest with me so I don't want shame or uh, your guilt or past stuff or embarrassment to keep you from being brutally honest and my commitment is I will be brutally honest with you. And so that's another one. And then the, probably the, the the other one is, is telling them uh, my expectation is that you give me permission on the front end uh, to really engage, ask, speak into your life without any permission. Like you're giving me that permission as your disciple maker. Because there might be things that I see or questions that I have that I don't wanna to have to tiptoe uh, around And the more relationship that we have, the better. But on the front end, I want that to be a part of that commitment that they're going to choose to trust me on the front end. And I get that permission in their life. So that's another expectation.
1: One of the others that I'll do is I will tell them that you're going to give me permission to ask your wife how you're doing and be honest. If you're not going to let your wife be honest with me because you're ashamed, then then we're not doing this. Because discipleship is every sphere of your life. Right. So, uh, and and if you're going to be secretive and and play the hide and seek game, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I also uh, I created a curriculum, which curriculums are just meant to be guides. Uh, it's called the Journey that we just came out with, and then and what that's meant to do is take them through as a, as a new believer. There's actually a discipleship contract on the front end. It says here's what we're going to do. This is what this looks like. This is how <laughs> we define this. So you get to talk through it, and you can morph it. I'm just That's the one I do. And then, then you may go, I don't like this, or I want to add to this, or whatever. And then we go through the SCMD, the, the definitions, and then we go into what's called the five spheres, which talks about the five spheres of your life that, that, that uh, Paul walks through the book of Ephesians and Colossians. And so I use that as a way to teach you. I'm going to ask you questions about every sphere of your life, your work life. I don't want it. Jesus is Jesus, and work is work. I also say, if you're going to be in my group, you don't get to skip church and say this is your church. You are a part of the body of Christ. I'm going to, in particular, you're going to be in church. You're going to be in life group with your wife. We're going to be doing this as a separate thing in the morning. And and so I I and I on the front end, I do what Bob's does is this is meant for you to go through so that now you're going to have a pathway to take somebody else through. It's meant to be to start so. Just working out what I do in those things and deal with the big subjects. But again, oftentimes I may get stuck in one. It's meant to be five days a week for 12 weeks. I never have been through it in 12 weeks. I can't even get through it in a year. But it just gives you subjects to walk through that go, what does the Bible say? Head, heart, hands, changes. What does the Bible say about it? Where's your heart at this? And what skill sets do I need with my hands to actually walk this out where? in the five spheres. And what it gives me the ability to do is then target a lot of these people get saved and, and you don't want to start in Genesis because their marriage is in trouble. You want to start where they are, where their deepest need is and not say, hey, we'll get to that in week eleven.
0: <laughs> because
1: usually they're they're broken and they're getting saved for a reason. What is the presenting reason that God needs to work in their life right then on. Does that make sense to you? Now, you don't want to just deal with the marriage and go, oh, we've done it, your marriage is fixed. No, we got to go all the way back and go, what's the story of God here? What's the whole big picture here? But it gives us something to start with, because most people have never discipled anybody or been discipled, and they don't even know what subject to talk about. Do I just use John or Mark or whatever? Where do, you, where do you start? And then it's meant to teach you daily to go to the Word, and it's got the Scriptures there, and diving into it, and so it goes that way. Can you guys go, one brother over here was talking about Mark, and then Jim talked about his kind of go-to MO with a disciple and a leader.
2: Can you guys each go through that, like kind of what's your go-to kind of a framework, template, what you do with your disciples and, uh, and your
3: disciple leaders? So are you asking about like a scriptural model, or are you asking about two tools and resources as the base?
2: I'm saying like, one brother was talking about he goes to the market with this guys. Yeah. Um, is there a thing that you tend towards when you're going through the guys you're working with or the galaxy <laughs>
3: I'll, I'll answer and then kick it to these guys. I, I think there's a ton of resources, and like Jim was just articulating, you, you start with a base so that you stay on some kind of a rhythm, because otherwise you could just wander, right, in circles in the woods. You know, and you're going you're gonna to lead to your strong foot over and over again. So by having some base to work from, you get some direction. And then when you trip over stuff, because Jesus is all about tripping us, tripping us up. I don't know if you all know this, but this is his MO. Because he's surfacing stuff that's inside of us that's broken. And he's breaking the So when somebody trips over it, that's when you stop down and you go, okay, God, what work are you doing? What's happening in this person's life? And this is where that relational part of the equation comes into you. So I'm sure these guys have all kinds of different resources they start with, but that's just the base. What uh, do you use?
5: I'm from Seattle, so you're going to hear a little Seattle-like coming to you, okay? Um, I used to, before I got involved in relational discipleship and that, I had a lot of go-to. A, a big team Getz and uh, all the chambers and stuff like that. those still come up, but I would say this, what, what is my go-to? Um, it's the Holy Spirit. So. As I engage in relationships uh, with somebody, I begin to listen to them. What is God doing in their life, right? And that guides me on what to bring to that relationship. And it could be, I mean, and it's everything, right? It's got to be biblical sound. It's got to help them grow to spiritual maturity, Christ-likeness. And so um, my discipling relationships are all fingerprints to that person. God is doing something unique in their life. And it's my job to get to know them to be tuned into god to be a disciple myself and then i take um what they need so i i don't have a prescription i mean i could give you a stack of books this high that i go to that i'm familiar with um but mine is what is god doing in that person's life and i'm going to take the word of god and pour it onto uh what he's doing and i call those growth points and i see god do amazing things because his word is powerful yeah, one of the things that, uh, so the very first time we meet, we go through expectations
2: and, and uh, so forth. The second time uh, that we meet, I'm going to share my personal story. And so I'm going to be incredibly vulnerable uh, with them because the expectation is I'm, I'm, I'm setting the expectation of what how vulnerable I want them to be. And then the next time, and they get to ask any and all questions that they want. The next time, they're gonna, I'm going to ask them to share their story. They said, "Where do you want me to start? Anywhere you want. That's a that's your story. So you like you get to choose. But I, I'm but what I, one of the reasons I do it is that the better I can understand your story, it gives me context to be able to understand where there might be landmines or hurt or any of that stuff along the way. And so then then I'll tell them after that. Most of the time, I'll end up because most people don't have a way to feed themselves, and so we've just used. I've been using it for years, uh, Wayne Cordero's book, Divine Mentor, teaches the soap method uh, that the gentleman talked about uh, the other day, and, and, uh, and so it just gets them into a regular rhythm of being in the word on a daily basis, and we send our journals, uh, I used to hate journaling, hated it, like I did not want to journal, resisted journaling, because I write all the time, it's like the last thing I want to do is write more, and and uh and i just resist but i was like man if i'm going to have these guys and i'm discipling do it i like need to model it so i'm like fine i'll do it you know and, and uh sorry it's been a huge huge like i smacked myself for not doing it a lot sooner but that's one of those resources so i, I take a picture every morning you know i send it to five guys this morning just boom take a picture of it and send it like we're, we're because why because as the guys i'm discipling i want to see my kids are sending theirs to me as well is that I want to see what's going on in their hearts. Like, how can I pray for you? How can I come alongside of you? What are things that you're wrestling with? What's going on at work that's causing you fear? Uh, and then I get to follow up with them to say, hey, we'd love to talk to you more about this. And so that, that's one. Uh, you know, the Discipleship Essentials is a great resource. Uh, Gospel-centered life, great resource. I mean, there's so many different resources. Biggest thing is don't make it curriculum-dependent like those are just resources to help you in relationship help them take the next step towards maturity because that's the end goal is maturity because then they'll be reproduced um you i don't know if you heard me say
1: this before i I wrote this new book called relationship and most pastors are afraid of relationship they're isolated and they don't have friends and one of the things I, i tell people to do is, like, I don't expect somebody that comes from the world to have a very good marriage or to have a, a marriage that's biblically centered. Would you agree? I don't I just don't have that expectation. I don't have the expectation that people understand what friendship is when they came from the world. I just don't. And as a disciple maker, I'm going to disciple you even on what friendship looks like. So I'm going to teach you what the Bible says about friendship. And that's part of what I do in in the beginning is I go, okay, if we're going to be disciple maker, let's talk about the rules of this relationship. What's said in this group doesn't go outside of this group. If you do that, I'm going to call you. If I find out that you said something without my permission from this group, from this time, I'm going to call you and I'm going to say, you and I are going to have a conversation. And you can expect the same from me. And I start the process of discipling on what it even is supposed to look like because these people don't know. And so if you're waiting to find a friend, your job is to build people into good friends. Making sense to you? So starting even at that level with the rules of relationship here, and all our small groups, we have the rules of relationship. Here's what this is the way this looks. And we go through it constantly. Safe relationship. Uh, You don't talk about what's without permission. Uh, If there's a problem, there's going to be a problem. This is how you handle it, Uh, you know. And you down the line. And so you're teaching people to become safe people, not hoping it just happens by osmosis. All right, we're going to try to get
3: two more questions in here. Uh, Yeah. Uh,
4: When you talk about because you guys probably have staff that you're pouring into, you have your family that you're pouring into. Um, What does relational capacity look like for you guys as you're pouring into and investing in other people? What's a good number, I mean, obviously it's gonna be different for every person, but can we just talk about that a little bit because we don't want to stretch too thin and then
2: not have, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I'll, I'll, I'll say something and I'll hand it over. Uh, I really think so much of it depends on your season of life. I really do. Like when, when we had four kids and they were all super heavily involved in school and sports and all that, you know, church, and it, it was just a very busy, busy time. I did not have the capacity to disciple the amount of people that now as an empty nesters, just me and my wife, uh, that we did back back then. So it looks very different. Uh, you know, also individually, different capacities. My wife is a two-on-the-eight, so, I, she, like, I need a lot of alone time, like downtime, not around people. Uh, and so she gets filled up that way. I don't. And so trying to just understand the way you're, you're made and, and wiring and all that kind of stuff. So that's why it's not a one-size-fits-all. However, you're called to be in relationship and make disciples. So I think you've got to work that out with the Lord as far as that season, not feeling guilty that you're not doing more than so and so, and you know, just don't get into compare game. Just figure out, hey, I'm going to disciple one person. I mean, it, literally, Jim was kind of talking about it. We, we talk about it all the time. Like if you would just disciple that person and commit to that person's also going to then start discipling, and you're going to go disciple. You're multiplying just doing it that way. And, and I'm telling you, it works. We see it. And so I think that's the biggest thing: is, is just understanding your own personal capacity in this specific season of life.
3: I had a guy named Sean you who know, I was discipling, and he would text me or call me, you know, three, four times a day, and we would dialogue. And uh, it was a, probably a, a year into the process, and there was a, some meetings I couldn't get out of. He was texting me like crazy, and had some issues with his wife, and he was kind of alpha mailing and, and pushing too hard, and causing problems in their relationship. And it was three and a half, four hours before I get back to him. And I finally got back to him, and I'm like, Man, are you okay? And he's like, Yeah, I'm great. I'm like, okay, cool. I just saw all these steps. He's like, Yeah. When I couldn't get a hold of you, I just started praying. I started talking to Jesus, and Jesus answered my question. So, like, the idea that we're going to get in the way between Jesus and our disciples is like, Man, good luck bearing that way. You know what I mean? So just remembering all of that, like we're connecting them to Jesus. We're modeling that connection to him, not with us being in the way of that. So anyway, it was a good moment.
2: Hey, Bob, you were talking about your your two sons and um, asking them where the one thought the other was on the wheel and where they were expecting them to be on the wheel. So my question is, when you are talking about the wheel, are all the members of your congregations and the people you're discipling are they aware of the wheel and where they're at on the wheel, or is that something that just as the leaders or the disciple makers use to assess where they're at, so that you know how best to approach them and work with them? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I would so a couple things. Um, I would say we so I would say a lot of our people are, are very aware. of it. Uh, we talk about it. Uh, I've done messages around it with uh, on the scripture. And, and a lot of times, people shy away from saying, "Hey, where do you where do you think you are?" Cause they, you know, concerned about people, you know, judging and you know all that kind of stuff. When we talk about it's not a tool to judge. It's 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 to really self-assess where you are, so that it'll help you take your next step. And so Jim and their crew had done a great job of writing out a bunch of what they call phrases from the stage. So. Phrases that a child or an infant or a young adult might say or a parent right and so we would share those things and just say hey Where do you think you are and what what, a lot of the feedback that I have gotten by sharing that in in, in large, like in our in our services uh, Is it was super helpful because they thought they were they were thought they were someplace else and most of the time they think they're farther along Right uh, and so, what it's done is it's given again. It's given us common language. It's given us understanding, so that it's not a foreign concept to the majority uh, of our church. And then, if you're going to be in leadership, you have to go through what we talk about at DS1. So we do them internally. Uh, so you have to go through them. So we do them quarterly, and and we have a lot of folks that are going through because we want them to be fully equipped to understand not only you know what we do, but why we do it and, and understanding so that it's creating common language within our whole church. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay.
3: Any any diagnostic tool can be used to marginalize characters, assassinate, categorize, and harm people. Or it can be used to assess for the purpose of help the pursuit of God saying, what are you doing in our lives? And so the sharper and the more powerful that is,
4: the more dangerous it is. The, the other truth about the wheel is that it's not a linear progression necessarily. I'm all over the wheel at different times, right? As a spiritual parent who's reproducing and making disciples, I can often find myself acting like an infant or having characteristics of a child in my own personal life. So like, it's not like you go, well, I passed that stage and now I'm here and I will always be here and I will never act like that again. Like, spiritual maturity is great, uh, but people, honestly, and that's why it's a tool. It's not something that we go, well, you're in this category, you're in this category. You know, we're not sticking people in spots because they're going to be in flux all around that, all the time. Uh, And so we just kind of have to know that as you're maturing, we're all in the process of following Jesus, where spiritual
1: maturity ebbs and flows, and and we we live in different stages. That's so good. Last week, I actually got in a fight with my wife, and I said this to her, you started (laughs) it. And as soon as I heard myself say that, I'm like, I am being a child. (laughs) Right now, the difference between a a somebody who's a, a parent who's acting like a child and a, a child is a child will go, yeah, yeah, that's right, right. A parent will go, oh my goodness, I just I can't believe I did that, and that's part of being real with your people. You know, when you're sharing your life with people, and and you go to a conference and somebody irritated you or whatever, and you share that you're struggling. With, you know, envy or something happened or somebody offended you and you're you're sharing that and you're you're going, you know, I just, I can't believe that. Or they go, wow.
5: Hmm, that's good to know.
1: What? Well, so you can act like a child too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And now we're being honest. Because you never, listen, I don't know about you, but I have to take up my cross daily. The Bible says that I have to encourage, you know, you see to that you don't get a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily so that your hearts are not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Ephesians 3, or excuse me, Hebrews 3, 12, 13. I need encouragement daily. So, do you, if you think you've arrived, you are in very dangerous ground. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes,
3: sir. Guys, thanks for the journey with us. We've got one more session this afternoon. The relational discipleship network is made up of coaches that walk through churches in this process of transitioning from a traditional model to a relational discipleship model that Jesus left us the next steps card on your table will get you the next step to take with us Mark Messick will follow up with you the discipleship one event is intended for you to come experience this not just hear about it not just go through the lecture part of it or the knowledge but actually see it and watch practitioners do it so I'd invite you to come to those Yes, fill them out. Anybody with a red lanyard in the room can engage with you guys and talk with you guys and visit with you after this session. Thank you, guys.
0: Thanks so much for listening today, everybody. Up next, we've got one more episode from Relational Discipleship Network, and they're talking about how you're not alone. We've got our part their part and god's part in the process of making disciples so make sure you look out for that next episode hit subscribe i would love for you to leave a comment or a like or review on apple Podcasts or wherever it is you're listening to this that would just be fantastic all right thanks for listening and i hope that you enjoy the rest of your day we'll see you